right into it. Psalms 127. I know sometimes we sing a song, but I want to get right into the message here this morning. And all the men, please, please don't, don't leave here because right after service we want to come together. And actually what we want to do is we want to put the teams together. So, uh, you know, in order to form a championship team, you got to be able to draft the team correctly. Amen. And so all the men, don't leave. Come right after. Meet right here in the front. And uh, gather all the men, and it's just going to be a great, great time. Every single one of these Mondays are going to be awesome. I guarantee you. We have different themes throughout uh, the time. You know, we have the soldier theme or whatever it might be um, uh, that we've had. I think last time we had the sports and just different ones. Just a great, great time international. So it's going to be really, really good. Psalms 127, verse 1. Do you have it? It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And then the rest of the verse reads, unless the Lord watches over the city, it, the watchmen stand guard in vain. One more time, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Father, we come before you one more time on this ending series, Lord God, of being under construction. Lord, I pray your power, your might to be set. Lord, let he that has an ear, let him hear, Father. Lord, for we need you. I need you here this morning, God. Lord, I know that your power, Lord Jesus, is going to reign supreme over our lives. Construct us, mold us, shape us into that man or woman that you call us to be. In Jesus' name. And all together we said, before you're seated, I want you to shake at least a good seven or eight people's hand and tell them you are under construction. Not two people, not three people. Come on, about a good seven or eight people. Tell them. There you, there you go. If you've got to get out of your seat to do it, then go for it. It's all right. You're under construction. Come on, tell them. You're under construction. A man, his wife, and a mother-in-law went on vacation to the Holy Land. They went to Israel. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The undertaker told them, you can have her shipped home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. The man thought about it and told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship your mother, your mother-in-law home when it would be a wonderful burial right here in the Holy Land and only spend $150? The man looked at the undertaker and said, a man died here 2,000 years ago. He was buried here, and three days later he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance on my mother-in-law. Uh, 
That's cold. Some of you would probably do that. Don't, don't lie. Oh, no, no, no. We're all under construction. These past few weeks, we've been able to take a look at the life of David. And if you weren't here, I want to challenge you. You can go on the website, listen to the messages as we've been able to build from this young boy being in the shepherd's field, then also going into the battlefield. That actually took two parts. And then last week we had Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Uh, wasn't that awesome last Sunday? A powerful time, the passion uh, kind of turned from a service into a musical. And the kids, weren't the kids great? That has got to be some of the best roboting from a young four-year-old I've ever seen. I know many of you at first were wondering, what is that kid doing? Because I even had some people come up to me after and go, I couldn't figure out what he was doing, but it was young Andrew, right? George and Gloria's son. He was just doing the robot. I thought he was doing like the saluting because he was like. <laughs> Took him like two minutes to go from here to here. You know? I was like, wasn't that the cutest thing though? And then the girls and they're dancing and then. My son, he gets it from his mama. Amen. I don't know what he was doing, but it was, they just had a great, great time dancing. And then the, sing, the singing was awesome. Powerful, powerful time uh, just to really get touched and, and really feel the impact of even the, the words being, excuse me, being sung. It was a powerful, powerful time. And so I want to encourage you, you can even go online and listen to that. It was a great, great time. But these past few weeks, we've been able to talk about that. And today, we're going to be talking about... David in the palace, but we're actually going to be talking about him in a little bit of a different way. Not so much as a king as it was what happened while he was king. Today we're going to be talking about the life of David being under construction. Now really quick, just to recap what we had talked about. And when we seen this young boy, this young David, when he came onto the scene and he was anointed to be king, right away as soon as he was anointed to be king, the Bible says he went right back to the shepherd's field. In other words, even though right away he was going to be the leader, he went right back into the place of where he can be under construction. Because a lot of times, many people think, I've arrived, I am now the leader, I am now the boss, I am in charge. But even though you're in charge, you're still under construction. You're still, your integrity still needs to be checked. Your honesty still needs to be checked. Your love and your compassion for others still needs to be checked. Don't think for one second that the moment you've come into that position that you've arrived and everything is good. No, you still got to be checked. And where do you get that check? In the shepherd's field. Tell your neighbor, are you in the shepherd's field? See, before you go into the battlefield, you must first spend time in the shepherd's field. We also talked about how in this battle that David fought, it was in the valley of Elah, a big vast canyon where there was on two sides the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other. And right in the middle, there was Goliath who continually mocked and ridiculed and called out the God of Israel. But then young David, he heard this. And even young David, when he heard this, the Bible says that he was not a soldier when he heard this. He was actually an errand boy when he was hearing this. But because of his construction and what God did for him while he was in the shepherd's field, he could hear what was going on because his ears were sensitive to know that, hey, this is not God. What is being said here, this ain't God. 
But he was able to know that and distinguish that by being in the shepherd's field. Then, of course, my favorite scripture that we talked about, the one difference that David saw within the Israelites, it wasn't that they weren't equipped. They had all the equipment. They had the helmet. They had everything. But there was one thing that they had lost, and David recognized it, and he told King Saul, and he told him, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Because the one thing that all the Israelites, they had lost is they lost heart. They didn't lose the position. They didn't lose the finances. They didn't lose uh, the wealth. They didn't lose all, any of that. They didn't even lose soldiers. What they lost was they lost heart. And so David came in and he said, look, there's one thing that you guys don't have that maybe I don't have, I don't have all the, the, the spear and the sword and the helmet and I don't look as good as everyone else and I don't talk as good as everyone else and I'm not as big as everyone else. But there's one thing that I do, God, and that is hard. And listen, my friend, that is one thing that I love about certain men and certain women that just say, you know what, when it's time to rise up, I may not have it all. I don't have a big house. I don't got all the car. I don't have the greatest suit. I don't look like everyone else. But one thing I do have is I got hearts. And that I can give. And I want to tell you something. That is one thing that I would love to have on a battlefield with somebody. I don't care about a five-star hotel. Just give me a five-rock soldier. Just a soldier that says, hey, I just got five rocks. I ain't got much. But these few things that I've got, I could sling them. Some of you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you guys were there at the club. And always that one friend. You always have that one friend that just gets out of line. You know what I'm talking about? Like that one friend that you wish, like, he's my friend, but I'll slap him. You know what I'm talking about? He talks too much. He just, he's not even drunk, and he's talking too much. But he's your friend. He's there. And so because he's your friend, and because, look, it's just, there's just something that you can't explain. You, you can't explain it when it comes down to you know, getting down, like, okay, well, it's time to get down. And you always want to have that partner that you know that will get down with you no matter what. No matter what. Like, you could just tell, like, hey, I can count on this person. See, that's what David showed. He showed that, hey, I, I may not have been at the battle at the beginning, but all I know is I'm at this battle at the end, and I'm in it till the end. That was heart. Tell your neighbor, don't lose hearts. See, even David recognized it, he, and we even find out how he developed that heart is that he fought a bear and he fought a lion. See, some of you here this morning, even take those battles, those small battles, and you got to remember your victories. They may be small victories, but you got to remember them. Remember those small things. Remember the fact that, hey, man, I used to be a, 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 a smoker. I used to smoke every day, 20 packs. I don't smoke anymore. That's pretty good. Man, I was one of those alcoholics. I had to, every time I woke up, I used to have to take a drink. After I took a drink, I needed to have another drink. I'd get to work. On my way to work, I'd be drinking while I'm on my way to work. On my break, I'd be taking a drink. After work, I'd be taking a drink. But now, hey, that's a, I don't drink no more. I don't have a desire for that no more. See, those are those little small victories that, hey, man, I, I can do this. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I got this. And sometimes every once in a while, you got to remember those small victories. Tell your neighbor, you got the victory. We found out also that David, in the battlefield, he stood tall, not of the stature of the giant, but he stood tall because of the stature of his God. 
We found out that he trusted in his God, and because of that, he had the courage of the call. We've seen that this danger that came, it revealed the, the strengths, or even it reveals weaknesses, but for David, it revealed his strength. The one that actually should have been fighting this battle should have been King Saul. And even when you study the scriptures, the Bible talks about how King Saul, he stood head and shoulders above all of the armies. He should have been the one, but instead, he was a coward. I mean, think about that. King Saul, a great, a strong man, a man of battle, a man of so-called valor, had a little boy go fight his battles. Had an errand boy, a cheese boy, just somebody, just a little kid that, that brought cheese and bread. He's the one that fought the battle. See, it could have been that King Saul could have been known as one of the great ones. We, we, we would actually be talking about King Saul, the great and mighty man who took down Goliath. But instead, we're talking about a young boy, David. That's the one who we're talking about. Why? Because David was the one with heart. King Saul, he lost it. He was depressed about it. He said, no, I can't do this. He became a coward. And in Psalms 23, verse 4, we, we read about it. The very famous portion of Scripture. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We talked about how your song of tomorrow is being written by the struggle of today. In the battlefield, many times, the battle is a lonely experience. The battle is also a strengthening experience. But also, battles are a memorable experience. And some of you here this morning, you got to remember the good things. Remember the great things of what God has done within your lives. So many, many times, it's very easy to remember the people that hurt you. It's very easy to remember the people that talked about you, the people that you feel like, man, all they do is just downing me. But some of you, you got to start remembering the good things that happen. There's a story that tells of two friends, and they were walking through the desert. During some point of the journey, they had an argument in the desert, and one friend slapped the other one in the face because he was very angry and disturbed with him. The one who got slapped, the, the one who got slapped was hurt. But without saying anything, he wrote this in the sand. Today, my best friend slapped me in the face. They continued walking. And as they continued walking, they found an oasis where they decided to go ahead and take a bath. The one who had been slapped got stuck in the mire and started drowning while he was there. But his friend saved him. After he recovered from the near drowning, he wrote on a stone. Today, my best friend saved my life. The friend who had slapped and saved his best friend asked him, after I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you're writing on a stone. Why are you doing that? The other friend replied, when someone hurts us, we should write it down in the sand where the winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where no wind can ever erase it. Learn to write your hurts in the sand and carve your victories in the stone. And I believe it's so true, even we find here in the life of David, that the things that he remembered out of all the things, he didn't come to Saul and say, look, man, my brothers are talking about me. I'm going to show them. Look at everyone's talking. They, everyone thinks that I'm a small guy. They, they, you know, they, they, they think I can't do it. Watch, I'm going to show everybody. He didn't have that kind of attitude. You know the attitude he had? He said, look, I fought a bear and I fought a lion. I can kill this Goliath. 
You remember the victories that brought him through. Some of you here this morning, you got to start remembering the victories that brought you through. Not all the hardships and the, and the trials that have messed you up that brought you down. But no, what are the things that brought you up and got you to where you're at right now? The call of God, the promises of God that have brought you through. That even though the times that you felt like, I can't make it. But God brought you through. Some of you got to start remembering those things. Start carving them in stone. Start, man, hey, I remember this time. I remember these, man. Myself and Greg, we were going over some pictures uh, for the website, and we were looking at them, man. Some of them were old, and I was looking at them going, man, I remember this time. I was only like four years old, five years old, but I remember. I remember when my father, they used to have this drama. They, they called it, uh, at first, they, they called it over. They brought it from the mother church. They called it uh, the Vario according to John. Instead of the gospel according to John, that's what he called it, the vario according to John. It was like a little skit. And then after that, they came up with this little skit called Hooked, right? They had Hooked, and they had all this drama together, and they put it all together. And I was looking at the pictures. Man, I seen this one girl. She had the hugest afro I had ever seen. I was like, whoa. And then I seen this guy with a bandana. I couldn't even see his eyes. He's like, whoa. And then I seen a picture of Dominic when he had hair. He was a cop. He was a policeman. I said, wow, Dominic, a police, the guy who ran from police, the guy who hit police, was a policeman. Look at the irony in that, right? And I was looking at these people. I go, man, this is crazy. Look at, oh, I remember her. Oh, look at that. Look at. And then I think even Greg looked at the picture. Was it true? It Was it? I don't know. I don't know if he's talked to her. But in the drama, there's a picture. They're standing in front right here on Mission Boulevard. Uh, it's an, well, now it's a restaurant, but it used to be a bookstore. Uh, Books on the Run, right? For those of you that are familiar with Hayward, right here on Mission, uh, right below Cal State East Bay, right at the bottom. We used, that used to be our church. And we used to be there, and they, they took a, a cast picture. And there's some picture, even some people kneeling down. And there's this one lady, she's kneeling down like this. I said lady, not a guy, a lady. And according to Greg, he says, that's Debbie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Were you in the drama? You were there. Could be. <laughs> Crazy. But, I mean, looking at these pictures, they, they bring back memories, not just memories of like, oh, look at that, but they bring back memories of, man, look what God did. Look what he did in our life. Man, look at what I used to be, but I'm not no more. Look what, how far God has brought me from. Some of you, you got to start remembering the victories of how God brought you far from that. You're no longer a drug addict. You're no longer a person full of anger. You're no longer a person that's always wanted to go out there to the clubs and drink alcohol. You're no longer the person that when people look at you, you want to fight them, but now you want to love them. Now you want to bring peace in there. Now you want to bring the gospel. Why? Because that's a victory that God has brought you through. You're a victor and not a victim. Psalms chapter 78, verse 70. We're going to read three verses. And this actually kind of sums up the life of David. Psalms chapter 78 says, verse 70. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pen. From tending the sheep he brought him. To be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. 
of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. Now here, we're going to look at this life, in the, king, uh, the life of David as the king. As we study the life of David, we see the scriptures sharing that David started as king at the age of 30 years old. Now he was anointed as a youth, but royalty as time went on. Now what's interesting about the timing of David and his position of becoming king of Israel is that again, it didn't happen right away. Same as a shepherd boy, now as also a general of an army. There was a lot of things that had happened from the battlefield of Goliath to this now time of hearing of this vacancy of the king of Israel. Here are just a few things that took place between the shepherd's field killing Goliath to now all of a sudden King Saul is now dead. Now it's his time to take his place. This is what kind of happened. There was a lot of things that transpired from that shepherd's field to now the vacancy of the king of Israel. Just really quick, I'm just going to go over it real fast. First, this is what happens. David kills Goliath. After, King Saul gets very jealous of David. This is going to kind of sound like Maury Povich. Watch this. King Saul gets very jealous of David. David falls in love with King Saul's daughter. King Saul uses that love of David to entrap David. Saul tries to kill David. Jonathan, King Saul's son and David become best friends. David flees from city to city and becomes a fugitive. Jonathan gets furious with his dad over the treatment of David. David, while a fugitive, becomes an actor in the city of the man whom he killed, Goliath of Gath. David gets to a cave called Abdullam. King Saul kills people who look like they're helping David. David has an opportunity to kill King Saul, but he doesn't. He gets another opportunity to kill King Saul, but he doesn't. David kicks it with the Philistines, his enemy, for a little bit. David kills some armies. King Saul dies. That's what happens. Just everything that goes through. So now all this stuff happens. He goes in the cave. This stuff happens. He's best friends with Jonathan. Then Jonathan dies. All this stuff is happening. All this stuff is taking place. And now King Saul dies. Now all of a sudden, yes, he's going to become king. But it doesn't happen that way. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. What I think is so strong about this passage right here is that even though David had the right to go up at once and take his rightful position, he was actually humble about it. He waited. And in his waiting, he inquired of the Lord. The Bible says that he actually went to Hebron and he was there and he was king there for seven and a half years before he even went to Israel. See, the thing about waiting is not only did he wait and just twiddle his thumbs, the Bible says that he inquired of the Lord. He actually sought the Lord. See, many times we get a lot of men, a lot of women, they come into church and say, okay, God, I'm here and I'm ready. Do whatever you want. But actually, just like David, he said, okay, not only am I going to wait, but I want to find out, God, what do you want from me? What do you want for me to do? 
See, because a lot of times, especially in today's day and age, we want, it's almost like we want the microwave call. Like, can I just put it in the microwave, press the button, and boop, I'm a leader. And boom, I'm out of debt. Boom, my marriage is together. Boom, my kids love me now. Wouldn't that be awesome? I just put it in, press the button, and yay. And God says, no. You actually must be able to wait for it. And that's what actually happened here with David. God told him, I want you to go up, but you got to wait. I want you to go and take it, but first, I'm going to put you in another shepherd's field. Oh, I don't know about you. Wouldn't that be a little frustrating? Another field? Another time of waiting? Oh, my gosh. That's what happened here. And the Bible says that while he was in Hebron, the, the Bible says that him, him and his team, they grew stronger. But the Bible says that he also made mistakes while he was there. This is actually where we learn about the weak side of David's character. We actually learned that David had six kids while he was in Hebron. But look at this. He didn't just have six kids. He had six kids with six different baby mamas. Crazy, huh? Now this is the thing. That eventually came back later to haunt him. It came back to hurt him. And this is where we find out in the position of being king, he made some decisions that affected his kingship. Now, why is this so important in the conversation of David as a king? Because this became David's downfall. His downfall wasn't the ability to conquer a kingdom. It was the fact that he couldn't conquer the spirits within his very own family. In total, we read in this family that David had 20 sons and one daughter which actually excludes the concubines and their offspring who are actually not even named in the scripture. So with the big family became big problems. How many of you here have a big family? Raise your hand. You have a big family. You understand what I'm talking about, right? Big family, a lot of times, big drama. Now just myself, I have... On my mom's side, I have uh, nine aunts and uncles. On my dad's side, I have eight aunts and uncles. Now, on their side, there's actually on the extended aunts and uncles on my mom's, just my mom's alone, I have 27 uh, of their, her cousins, 27, right? First cousins, first cousin. That's my mom's side. Then my dad's side, there's another 20. So when I have a reunion... And those are just hers. So then when I meet their children, which are my age, there's about at least a good, on my mom's side alone, we have about, I think it's a total of, last time it was like 95 or 96 of that, right? It was about 96 of us, something like that. We went to the beach and kind of take over the whole beach. So that's my mom's side. Then my dad's side, my dad's side is a little bit different because they were a little bit more into the, uh, having babies and leaving them alone, not even knowing that they had babies kind of thing. So I'm still to this day finding out cousins that, uh, oh, you're my, all right, nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, I'm related to your uncles, brothers next door, you know, they're the cousins of the, all right, good to meet you, cousin, you know, just still meeting them. Because a lot of times with big family, you're like, well, where did this, I didn't even know. That's what was happening here with David. He was creating a big family, and a big family was creating Big problems. So even as a king, the family that was growing here was something that he kind of took up 
on his own. I like what somebody once said. He said, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a lot of nuts. I find that true of even my family. Now, before we go into this family, we look at David as a king. He did some great things. Just a few things that he did. He actually expounded the boundaries of Israel from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. That's huge. A big way to expand the kingdom. He set up extensive trade routes that reached throughout the known world. And because of these trade routes, wealth came into Israel like the nation had never seen before. Another thing that David did is he unified the nation under one true God, Jehovah. He was a king who lifted up the role of even the priest. And he destroyed all other idols at their altars. He was a brilliant organizer, an awesome planner, a great manager, and even a cutting-edge military mind. This man was an awesome king, but he lacked in a major way as a father. The first failure that we see of him is that he got so involved in public pursuits that he lost control of his family. He wanted to please everyone else that he did not first seek the pleasure of his family. One thing that I have learned that my father used to always tell me is that his first disciples was his family. He used to tell me that all the time. My first disciples is my family. And one of the things that David, what he didn't see was that his discipleship was his family. But the Bible says that he went out and he would try to conquer everything. He tried to do all this, but he neglected his family. That was one of the first things. He wanted to go on a mission to please everyone else but the ones that God gave him. The second thing that he did is that he spoiled himself in excessive extremes of passion. The Bible says that when he killed, he conquered everything. He killed everything in its past. When he loved, he loved with all of his heart. And he loved actually to the point where he had numerous wives and even numerous concubines. You see, his appetite also led him to inappropriate seasons of leisure. And we even read about it in the story of Bathsheba, a very famous portion of scripture where David himself stood back because of this time of leisure. Somebody once said, J. Oswald Sanders said, David's greatest fault lay in his yielding to passions of the flesh. See, his laziness caused lustfulness, which led to lying, which led to death. These were some of the things that happened within David. And the last thing that we see in the failure of his kingship is that he became a victim of self-sufficiency and pride. The Bible says that he told Joab to go number the people. And because of his pride, the Bible says that 70,000 people died as a judgment of God. These were some of the things that took place within David's life. That even as a king, he made some mistakes. But just like I shared earlier, your song of tomorrow is being written by your struggle of today. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to conclude right here. 2 Samuel chapter 22. And as you're turning there, everything that I've shared with you, everything that I've told you about the life of David could kind of be summed up. In this one last chapter. This chapter of this man that went through so much. 
this man who first came onto the scene, anointed by, by Samuel, anointed by him, when nobody else wanted, not even his own dad called him, but yet he was anointed as king. His brothers didn't want him on the battlefield, yet he beat Goliath. After he beats Goliath, the very own king that sent him out there got jealous of him, wanted to kill him. Even after he fled the city, that king went after him to kill him just to make sure that he would never be king of the, the, uh, of the place of where he was at. Then even as he was out there, he was in a cave all by himself. The Bible says that he got depressed while he was there. Then even after the king died and he was ready to go take that position, that all of a sudden the Bible says that God told him, no, don't go and take it yet. Go to Hebron. Don't go to Israel. I don't want you going there yet. I still got more to construct you under. Because there's some character issues that we got to deal with. So even he went all the way over there. After all this stuff that happened, then even after everything in his kingship, the things that were happening within his sons and his daughters, even as you read the story, the Bible says that his son raped his daughter. His half, it was his half-sister that he raped her. I mean, I'm telling you, the, the life of David was Maury Povich, the first TV show. I mean, it's crazy. Just all the things that were happening. Then his very own son said, well, I'm going to take over. Now I'm going to be the king because, you know, you're getting weak now. You're, I know you're my dad, but I'm going to take you out. I mean, all this stuff was happening and taking place. The Bible says that even the house of Saul and the house of David, they were still going at it even after King Saul died. There were so many things that were going on with, with David just coming out of depression, oppression, people talking about him. At first people saying, yay, David, he kills the tens of thousands. Now those same people are like, okay. We need to get rid of this guy. I mean, just so many things that were happening. And now we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Let's read. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. This is very heavy. I like this. It's actually, the Bible says he sang this. It's a song. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent people, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rains, clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. 
The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out of a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble. Oh, I love that. But your eyes are on the haughty and bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. And the, the Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help but there was no one no one to save them to the Lord but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the people you have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me as soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. He is the God who avenges me. He who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes from a violent man. You rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. This is a song that David sang after all that stuff he went through. Even after he messed up with Bathsheba, he still sang the praises of his God. Still. Your struggles of today are writing your songs of tomorrow. The adversaries that you think, man, I don't know if I can do this. 
I don't know if I can make this. Even David said, God, you are my savior. You are my rock. Who shall I run to? It's you. He realized. God realized that, God, you save the humble. See, after all these things, after all the construction of being in the shepherd's field, being there with sheep, when no one else wanted to be with sheep, it was just David until he got that call. He said, David, we need you over here in the battlefield. I'm ready. I'm ready. Then even on the battlefield, he kills the Goliath. And even still, people wanted to hate on him. Even still, the very own, his very own leader wanted to kill him. But yet still, God, you delivered me. You delivered me. Even after all that was done, even after he got oppressed, he says, God, you're my refuge. You're my rock. You're my everything. Then even after his king, even after his leader died, even after all that happened, and it looked like, man, I'm going to be king. God says, no, you saved the humble. In your time, God, not in my time. See, this psalm right here, this is a psalm of construction. See, this, this is the kind of song that when someone sings it, you don't listen to the words. You look at the man. You say, I believe it. I could tell there's just something about him. Man, just when he, when, when he claims it, when he says it, just, mm, you, can, you can feel it. Why? Because he's been through some things. Some of you right now, you got to start singing the song. Why? Because you've been through some things. You've gone, you've seen some things. You've been in the shepherd's field. Even when no one else wanted to be in the shepherd's field, you've been in the battlefield. And you were in the valley all by yourself. And everyone else was there saying, oh, okay, it's going to be great. But you were the one right there fighting when no one else was fighting. Listen, my friends, some of you right now, you're going to start writing your song and start singing that song and saying, God, you're my refuge. You're my savior. You're my rock. You're my everything. God, you're my provider. The tragedies, the things that some of you have been through, stop soaking in them. Start singing a song of victory. You didn't go through those things by accident. They were on purpose for a purpose. Everything that you've been through, people lying to you. You lying to people. Don't think that you were perfect. A lot of times with the all oh, people hating on me. You were hating on people too. Shut up. But David said, you know what? Forget all that. Forget all that. He had the opportunity. He could have killed King Saul. He didn't do it. Twice. Twice. He could have killed his leader. I'm going to mess watch. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to get you back. Vengeance is the Lord's. And we say that vengeance is the Lord's, but really you want revenge. You want I'm going to get them. Watch. God, get them. God, get them. Please strike them down, and then I'll worship you. I promise I'll worship you. I'll worship you even higher. I'll take my hands from here to here. If you just get them. But David realized that. He says, no, no, no. Vengeance is not mine. It's the Lord's. You saved me. You humbled me. You put me in the shepherd's field. When no one else wanted to tend sheep. You put me in the battlefield when everyone else is scared to fight the battle. You even put me in a cave with a bunch of guys. And who in the world were they? What are they doing? But God, you know what you were doing. Even at the time where I should have been king, 
told me to go wait over there in another place. Go deal with them. Man, God. But David realized, after everything he went through, after all the stuff that had been constructed in his life, the Bible says, and even as you read the, the book of Psalms, David wrote the majority of those. He didn't write them all, but he wrote the majority of them. And a lot of those, those psalms we sing to this day. Lord, you are good and your mercies endureth forever. Forever. And David realized, God, have mercy on my soul, even though I messed up, even though I did this wrong. God, a pure heart. That's what I long for. Pure heart. A heart that follows hard after thee. God, that's what I want. I'm not perfect. I don't want a perfect heart. I want a pure heart. I want a heart that follows you. A heart that's undivided so that sin won't come in. A heart that beats compassion. A heart that pleases you, my Lord. See, he could write songs like that because he fought a bear. Because he fought a lion. He fought his brothers. He fought Goliath. Then the biggest one fought himself. Fought himself. And he realized, man, I don't want to please me. I want to please God. I want you to be number one in my life. On your own time, I want to encourage you, challenge you. Look at the scripture one more time. Second Samuel chapter 20. Read it for yourself. Throughout this week, look at the construction, how it was molded and shaped just for a man like David. Some of you. God's not asking you to sing a song from here. He's asking you to sing a song from here. A song that you sing. When some of you sing it, I believe you. When Gloria talks about, man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm happy to be alive. I take it for, like, cancer should have took her out. But it didn't. If you hear me say that, you go like, oh, you're young. I'm happy to be alive, man. But you hear a woman like Gloria, oh, that's heavy, powerful. Why? Because of the song that she sings, you believe it. You could sense it. Like, she went through some things. Some of you, you went through some things. You have your own song to sing. Man, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. <sighs> if you believe that, give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his kings great victory. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed. Stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift your hands with me here this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Can we sing that song, Hallelujah, you won the victory? Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. With your hands lifted here this morning, listen, I believe that many of you here, that God is, you, you need to claim the victory. You got to claim the victory here this morning, that you're not the victim no more. It's not about what your dad did to you, your mom did to you, your ex-husband did to you, your ex-wife did to you. Listen, I know there's a lot of things that exes have done to you. 
your, your best friend that used to be your best friend no more. He messed me up. No, no, no. My friend, you need to start singing a song of victory. You got to start singing a song that even though all this stuff has been happening, even though all this stuff has been taking place, even though I didn't answer the call of God when I was supposed to, I felt it when I was 12 years old. I felt it when I was 13, but I went wayward. I went out there. I became an addict to this. I became an addict to that. I became an addict to myself. I was selfish of my own desires, but now I want to start singing the song of victory. I want to start claiming the victory back in my life. I need to get the victory back in my family, back in my marriage, back in my finances, back in my job, back in my house. I'm going to claim that victory once again. The devil cannot, shall not, will not have the victory in my house. Not now, not ever. I'm claiming the victory in Christ. As your hands are lifted and hearts are focused on God, as we begin to sing this song, if that is you, slip out of your seat right now. Come on, come to this altar. Uh, I don't want to